Hey, rock stars, I'm JB, expert salesperson and master presenter. I'm the doctor, psychologist, and behavioral expert. This is the Entrepreneur Mastery Lab Podcast. We're high-performance coaches that help service-based professionals and entrepreneurs take their skills to the next level. 70% of entrepreneurs fail, which is why every week we have real talk with real entrepreneurs to help ensure you are not one of them. We're also the inventors of the Be Rich Mindset. Where we rise to mastery, inspire greatness, celebrate knowledge, and help others along the way. So join us in the lab. And now, on to the show. Welcome back to the lab. I'm JB. I'm the doctor. If it's your first time joining us here at the Entrepreneur Mastery Lab, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you haven't already, give us a like, a subscribe, a follow. You might not know what we're talking about, but I promise you it is awesome. Every week, real talk, real professionals, even if it's just the two of us this week, it's not. Thank you for coming to check us out. If you happen to be a returning listener or viewer, welcome back. I know you've already liked, subscribed, and followed. Do not, do not be breaking my heart. You already did that for us, right? Absolutely did. They did it last week when we did the first piece of this episode. They never answer me. It's always so confusing. I keep I keep waiting for somebody to say yes, and nobody ever responds. Yes. That's better. Thank you. You're welcome. So excited. This is our first two-parter episode. It is. It's a carryover conversation. So we had, we had a lot of fun in our first conversation, so much so that we wanted to have a second conversation. And we even, we got to leave it on a cliffhanger. We did. And the cliffhanger for the fun part and behind the scenes, we had a little audio or internet issue. So it kind of got cut off, but it got cut off at the perfect place. So we're reconnecting to f- keep filming the rest of this. So you might notice looking different uh, by different backgrounds, except for me because I like continuity. So I tried to be exactly the same. So you guys didn't get confused that I'm still the doctor and I'm not Hayden, even though we both have awesome beards. Uh, but I wanted to keep it clear. So I kept very continuity. Yes, that's also why his voice never inflects up or down ever when he's chatting. It's the same level of voice for continuity purposes, right, Doc? Consistency in 23. And I would say that our production quality is just through the roof. It wasn't a technological issue like we lost internet or something. It's just, That was superior. Netflix might be you know, bringing us on. It's so good. Oh, it was planned chaos. That's what we love. We at least took advantage of it. It's a pivot. So, so without further ado, I gotta bring back the one and only Hayden. What's up, man? How we doing? Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Good to see you again. Thanks for joining soon. us once more. It's good to be back. Glad to continue the conversation. Yeah. A week later. Oh, a, a week later. Yeah, or or not, but he came back, so that's a good sign. Well, it's a week later for our guests, so just go with it. Jeez, Jamie. It's so important for you to be exact with this stuff. Nobody's looking at what we wore last time, I swear. Hi, no, Mom. I'm sorry I'm not sites. wearing the same thing. There's a there's a JB Wiki site. Don't don't you doubt that? Well now I have to now I have to check it out. I, is it JB chat? <laughs> that is the thing new jank chat chat jb that's chat jb now. yeah it's it's the new ai somebody's re- they're replacing me with ai hayden that that can't be done no right no no, no no absolutely we're, not there yet. we're replacing right. ai with jb is what we're really doing <laughs> i would have a lot of fun with that yeah we should put your put your personality into ai i don't know if the world's right. ready 
Yeah, no, it's it's not. The, the world don't want that. They, <laughs> they are out. <laughs> they just walked away. The whole world's just walking away right now. They're, they're done. <laughs> all right, Doc, why don't you let us know where we uh, where we cliffhanged from for all our guests. So real quick, if you haven't, if you listen to the first part of the episode, or go not. back and do that first. Or just pick up here. And if we're going to pick up here, Hayden, just give a quick, real quick intro for those that are too lazy to go back and hit play on the previous episode. Sure. So my name is Hayden Casson from South Florida. I uh, served in the Navy uh, for seven years, um, which really started a lot of the journey that we're going to be discussing today, uh, focusing on mental health. Um, I've been in the construction industry for about two and a half years, ended up working for Associated Builders and Contractors, uh, where I run the ABC Cares Foundation. Um, it is, uh, it's become a calling uh, way more than it is a job. And um, I'm uh, uniquely positioned uh, with this foundation that's uniquely positioned to make a really big impact in the construction industry and, and really the world, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into shortly. Awesome. Thanks for reminding the people that didn't listen last week. I'm, I'm calling them out because they need to go back and listen. It's so yeah. great. I I think it's funny that you're you're reminding the people that never listened in the first place, or our new guests who 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 may not have checked it out at all. But yeah, definitely go back, check it out. Uh, to summarize, so kind of towards the end of our our conversation, we talked a lot about relationship with self, relationship with others, vulnerability, kind of the societal impacts. And, and Doc, what was the question that you asked? Uh, it was actually Hayden left us on a great cliffhanger it was how does society shift and having our conversation since then uh, Hayden has a perfect answer for his own question on what he's going to be doing next he doesn't even need that's, us that's a good lead in so how does society shift um you know we like you mentioned we talked a lot about empowered vulnerability or vulnerability in general what I what I like to call it is actually empowered vulnerability um it's something that evolved in me um coming out of the military even in the military after the military I, who what, what military guy do you know what veteran that you know is just going to open up and show weakness right who's just going to say yeah i have emotions i'm sad i don't feel good what no one's going to do that so um what i've learned over time is that when i'm open about the things that I struggle with and I'm open about the things that um, are kicking me in the teeth, but also the things that I've overcome. Uh, it's actually very empowering, not just for me, but for others. Um, the relationship with self, the relationship with others comes into play here. Um, for me, that's a secret that I don't have to keep anymore. Uh, it's a secret I don't have to hide from, from myself. Um, and you're able to, to create a relationship in a, and a new bond with somebody when you when you do show that vulnerability because chances are they can relate maybe not directly but in one way or another they can relate they've either been in, in proximity or they've dealt with it themselves so um yeah so like our empowered vulnerability is is the approach that i take to it i um a lot has happened since we we talked last it wasn't that long ago but Boy, have things moved? Um, how do we how do we shift the paradigm? How do we make an impact? Um, I mean, let me ask you, Doc. This one's not for you, JB. This one's for you. What what happens when I say to you, "Hey, 
I want to have a conversation with you about mental health. Like, how in are you right now? Like, scale to one to ten, are you like stoked about having that conversation, or like a little bit? Meh? Like, where are you? Uh, well, are, do I have to talk about myself, or am I just talking in generalities? Right? Because my immediate instinct, truly, right, this is going to sound absurd, but me instincts like, hey, ask the doc. That's that, that's his thing, right? That's why I got the doc, so I don't have to answer those questions. Uh, so, so I'm defensive, I would say, right? Right off yeah. the bat, personally defensive. So exactly. The fact that you just started like, no offense, rambling about ways to not answer my question right there, it proves that the last thing you want to do is talk about <laughs> mental health, yeah. right? And you are like most people in the construction industry. You're like most people coming mm -hmm. out of the military in the military. You're like most people, period, in a sentence. So how do we how do we break down that wall? How do we get to the point where we've built the relationship far enough in that we can now have a conversation about mental health? We got to change the lens, right? We got to, we got to talk about relationship. We got to talk about personal and professional development, whatever it might be. It just can't be branded as mental health. So what we're doing now is we are going through a course. Um, it's being delivered by a, a massive mental health institution in Broward County um, to myself, to my colleagues, to members of ABC, to advisory committees of, of uh, ABC Cares Foundation, to board members of Associated Builders and Contractors. We're sitting through a day long training and every module that we complete, we're gonna stop and we're gonna take a quick exit survey. How applicable is this module to the construction industry? And we'll have a series of those throughout the day, compiling data. What's gonna happen is everybody that leaves that training is going to walk away with the ability to triage somebody in a mental health crisis. They're not gonna be therapists, obviously, but they're gonna be able to triage and make sure that person is heading in the right direction. Momentum, keyword, momentum. The second thing that's gonna happen is we're gonna leave with a lot of data we're gonna know what has to be in the training that we're gonna create because we're going to create training. It's gonna be four, maybe five hours at most because let's face it, no construction company is gonna put people in training for an entire day. So we get it for a half day, we're gonna dial it in. And yes, it's going to have a mental health uh, academic backbone, but the lens that we start that conversation through is about relationships, relationships with yourself, relationships with your peers, professional and personal development. So that's, that's in motion right now. Um, what's also in motion right now, let me ask you this, Doc, here's a good one for you. If, if I go to a company and I say, hey, we, we want to deliver mental health training uh, to your employees, um, but then we, after the fact, realize that a quarter, a fraction of the, of the people in that room, they actually started their mental health journey. But that company doesn't realize um, that they don't have the resources to actually help these people in their journey. Would, would you say that's a potential problem? Well, as soon as you mention company and asking them a question, the first general thing I always see is what's that cost us? Like, what's the cost associated to that? And that answers part of the question as well is, why those things aren't in place, what's the cost to the employer? Someone right. can't do it. 
Uh, so it's usually a barrier right away as long not even even thinking about the idea of we don't want to open up that can of worms at work because what happens now if people become vulnerable are they going to miss work uh, how do they get treated if we open something up they talk about it if they know they can and then they start talking about it and they need a day off for mental health we have to allow that how does that hurt our bottom line how does that hurt our production so there's a lot of stuff that I've seen come up over the years. I don't know if I exactly answered the question, but that was the rant that I was going on. No, but you bring up a lot of good points. Um, you know, you're, we're, we got to compare and contrast. Are we, are we more willing to have somebody miss a day of work because they need a mental health day or they're, they're seeking and engaging in services? Or are we just going to stick to uh, the statistics that are in place right now, which is there's five times more deaths by suicide in construction than there are deaths on a job site? or 17% of the deaths on a job site are actually suicides themselves. I mean, there's a reason that, that the construction industry has such a high suicide rate. And that's just the suicides. We're not, we're not even touching on like the absolute anguish that some of these men and women are, are living in. Um, you know, the substance abuse, the domestic abuse potentially there. I mean, there's a lot of things that are happening. So, I mean, if we're going to if we're going to shift, then it's going to take a, a top down buy in from the construction industry. It's going to take senior leadership to say, yeah, we we're going to do this. We're going to become vulnerable to an extent and we're going to start this conversation. If we don't, nothing's going to change. And you want to talk about an industry that is plagued by workforce issues. How many people are losing a suicide? many people we're losing it, it's we need to create a we need to shift the paradigm for construction so it's not seen as as what it has been for so long and there's a different result at the end of the day with so many people that that need resources everything is it's a little cool too is you usually i mean we had the same battle still do with a lot of companies that we even work with on if you treat your employees well if you make them happy while they're there let alone the mental health aspect that you were just talking about, that your performance goes up, that it's easier to keep people. It's actually cost beneficial to have a healthy and happy work staff. And everything you're talking about kind of relates into that. So they start to understand it in that society. And we're seeing a lot more of the trainings and going around that work workplace benefits. This is something to the same thing. So you just have to kind of connect those dots for a lot of them. And that's where some of the challenges come in, which I think you're doing a great job even demonstrating right now. We've got a lot of work to do. It's we're just at the starting line right now. Like we are walking up to the starting line. Um, that first training is this month. It's on, uh, well, I guess, two weeks out. And um, that's that's the starting line. You know, there's a seven month process that we've outlined to uh, take this training, other trainings, assess them, find best, best practices, and then create a curriculum that will resonate. I read through a curriculum uh, was two, three days ago, and it and it, it's geared towards the construction industry. But the first thing, the first slide, mental health, and some other words, but mental health. You lost half the room right there. You might get senior leadership to sit through that. You're not going to get a, an hourly worker, some salty superintendent. Maybe if you're lucky, but they're not going to engage in the same way. They've got to have, they have to have their own buy-in. 
they've got to relate this to, you know, a better home life, a better bottom line for themselves because their productivity is increasing. It's not just the employers that need to see that bottom line increase. It's, it's the workers too. And this is a really an easy way to do it. There's no way I'd, I'd be, you know, living the life that I am right now had I not addressed my mental health, had I not received the care that I needed, you know, and even just engaging in care to begin with. Um, I didn't, I was lucky. I didn't have the vulnerability or excuse me, the uh, stigma that a lot of individuals have when it comes to therapy. Uh, I might've mentioned this in the last show, but you know, my, my father is a hundred percent disabled Vietnam vet that I knew what it, it looked like. I knew what I was dealing with. I could relate to it because I had seen it in my father. Um, my parents divorced when I was 12 and they made me go to a therapist. So that stigma around going to therapy, it didn't exist for me because I had already done it. So I didn't have such a barrier that some people do. Um, that's why these conversations, this sort of training is so important. You deliver it the right way from somebody that looks like them, um, sounds like them, talks like them. Um, I mean, you put me in front of a room, you, you're probably not going to think that I'm going to talk about feelings and emotions just by looking at me. So it's a bit disarming to the industry when I actually do. So that's, that's what we have to do is we have to disarm them with the right words and by talking to this through the right lens. I mean, it's, it's a work in progress and it's really an all hands on deck effort to, to make sure this gets done. Right. I think you said a couple of key points there with the idea of making it make sense to them. Cause actually there's been a lot of great work in the mental health world and businesses connecting over the years, a lot of EAPs out there now, whereas, you know, employee assisted treatments where they actually pay for therapy sessions for their employees. And a lot of employees don't take advantage of them because they, they worry, well, if I do it through my, my workforce, will they have records of what's going on? FYI, they don't. Uh, the only thing that they know is that you showed up so that they can, they can get billed. Um, so if you're worried about that, don't worry about that. But the idea is that there, there is that stigma still attached to it, right? So there's been great things put in place over the years, but people are still afraid to use them because of all that stigma that is attached to it. Even if they don't know what I'm saying, they know that I'm going, they can consider that a weakness when a time comes for a raise or promotion. Is that going to be held against me? There's so many things that, that go through people's mind that make sense. Very valid thoughts, you know, very valid, uh, very important things to consider because Unfortunately, there is going to be some people that do make those decisions based on those biases. Um, so again, what you're talking about and how to kind of get through that, especially with people like construction workers who have this, you know, I think the identity that they're really tough and they're, that they're not going to be open to it, but don't actually, you know, I bet if we break them down that they're actually going to be quite vulnerable and, and more willing to talk about it than people would even imagine. Well, that's why the culture shift is so important. It's not, it can't just be pointed at one cross section of the industry. I mean, it has to be, it has to be top down as well as bottom up. If we get, if we get senior leadership in, in these companies and organizations to be okay talking about their experiences, um, then it sets the culture within the company. I mean, I, I have, there's a company that's very close by to our office right here. And, 
um, CEO of that company is very open about um, his struggles with mental health. He talks about it with his employees. So he's set the culture. He's set the tone so that if, if somebody in his office needs to get help, they know that they're not going to be penalized for it. Um, and that goes back to the training. The way something else that I want to make sure happens in this training is there has to be a little bit of differentiation between who we're talking to. The, I think about 80% of the training could probably be canned. I'd love some feedback on this doc, but um, maybe 20% of that training needs to be pointed at either senior leadership, the supervisor level, supervisors, uh, superintendents, um, you know, people that work in the office. And, and then the other section is those hourly workers, the grunts of the industry, if you will. It, they think different. They have different roles. They have different responsibilities when it comes to mental health and how we react to other people. So I think the training has to differentiate because we have to set the tone so that we affect a culture change where those people are. So interestingly enough, could run into some of the same challenges, right? You're asking senior leadership now to have to be more vulnerable. Some are well be willing to do it. And I bet in that, that business that they are more open to sharing as employees as well. But here's the thing is you don't have to be vulnerable about your own your own stuff that's going on to still affect it as a leader. Just the idea of talking about it. What we do know about suicide, um, and if anyone out there uh, needs any help, please let us know if this is triggering. We should probably put a trigger warning too in front of this. Um, suicide, unaliving, there's a lot of different ways we're saying it these days. But what we do know about it is talking about it is one of the best things that you can do. Talking about suicide is never cause suicide. Actually, all the data shows it does the opposite. So the more that we can talk about mental health, suicide, and, and the idea that there is people out there that are suffering through this as well, more normalizes it, more makes it open for those that are going through it to at least know that they're not alone and they have an opportunity to share some of that information. They don't have to even share themselves, but just having that conversation opens that talk and opens that belief system. So if you are in leadership and you're listening, do not be afraid to talk about these conversations at work. All it's going to do is, is help. It's not going to come back to you. You're not going to be liable for something that happens because it's going to prevent a lot of that from happening. And I know that's a lot of the concern that I hear from seniors leadership is how does that come back if we talk about it? Just do it. The more you talk about it, the better off you'll be. Maybe you can uh, compare the difference between transparency and vulnerability. For like a Absolutely. senior leader, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot of crossover between those two frames, right? And I think what we're, we're looking at here is sharing and being open to talk about something um, is under the vulnerable, vulnerability that you just, you're open to that idea. You can share about yourself. You don't have to. Being transparent generally goes around that same idea of I have to share everything. But again, it doesn't have to be that way. You could just be transparent in the idea that I'm open to have that conversation. Self-divulgent, um, I think, is what we're trying to put a little bit of the difference in here is you don't have to self-divulge anything that you're you're feeling. That's up to you. And that's very private or very personal to people. Those that do like to share generally get a good benefit from it. They'll find out that people relate to them a little bit more. 
so over the years, what I've seen is people that are willing to self-divulge have uh, much more receptive uh, conversations around that and support than they think they will. But that still doesn't mean you have to. And that's still a personal decision you have to make on how willing you're willing to do it. And it does open up, you know, it does open yourself up to other things. And especially how it's related it could be open your family up to things it could open up your company to things so you have to do you do have to take into consideration what you divulge um and where but overall what i've seen is the people that have done it have have had more benefit than they've had regret what would your thoughts be on um why suicide is so so high in construction as opposed to other industries to just guess um and right i like to pull back a little bit to saying i'm not using any data here because i don't have the data in front of me exactly of their rates um, you'd probably know that piece a little bit more than me because you do work daily in that uh, but when we do see those trends it's it's usually stressors and it's feeling like they're alone right most people don't see a way out. They see this as their only option. Uh, they don't know where they can get support. And then if you add in some of that uh, mentality of what we're calling it here, like the machismo aspect of it, of feeling like if I show any kind of weakness, then I'm less than, especially in this built up, as we talked about last time and ended with, of like this idea that society thinks we're supposed to be so tough that we're not supposed to share, that we're not supposed to have any weaknesses. And we start to believe that, and then we don't see any way out. You can see that correlation of why those things would be higher in that kind of field. I'll speak up here for a second, not not speaking from a mental health perspective so much, but uh, there has been a lot of news lately about uh, men without college degrees and how they are really kind of withdrawing uh, societally. Uh, and, and from a relationship standpoint with, with women and females and, and being, uh, you know, just a high school graduated male, for example. Uh, and I'm not suggesting this is always the case, but when you're talking about, I think the construction industry and you're talking about, you know, you could, you label them grunts, Hayden, uh, you're probably talking about a lot of men who do not have college degrees. Uh, and so I, I think there's, there's a lot of pressure that they're facing in our culture and our society today that you're not seeing in other industries. So it's a little, it's probably a little bit of that as well, where you're just, you're getting more of those people who are already at risk into the industry itself. And so it's a little bit more applicable here in the construction industry than it might be in other industries. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that's, you know, the only thing here at play, but I, that has been pretty popular in the news lately. There's a lot of studies going on around that. So I, I would imagine that has a role. No, I agree. I mean, you look at, you look at the uh, median age in our trade school and it's 34 years old for freshman enrollment. So this, these are people that are getting a later entry uh, in our trade school, um, which says they've done something else. It didn't work out. And now they're doing construction, um, which could potentially indicate that something, something wrong, something went wrong in their life. They're struggling with something. And that's something they're struggling with probably has some mental health issues underlying there. I mean, what is it? What's this? How many out of a hundred people are dealing with mental health? Like what's the percentage of people dealing with mental health 
So I'm not a big fan of those statistics because that they they want to label them. I'm also someone who does, but I don't like to diagnose. Um, and I try to do that as much as possible. But if, if we were just talking about that have traits of some mental challenges, right? So it might not even be a mental health disorder, but all of us are dealing with some sort of mental health challenges, right? One way or another, we go through it, stress, anxiety, nervousness, fear, abandonment, workplace drama. I mean, there's so many things that it can be isolation. They don't have to be mental health illnesses per se to deal with going through something that's mental health related. So 10 out of 10, if it's going to be my answer with that definition, uh, we're all dealing with something. And that's, that's a good way to look at it, you know, makes you, at least me, a little bit more empathetic towards the people that I encounter every day. Looking at it through that lens, everyone's dealing with something. In but I think the, before you go on, JB, just the piece I want to add to that is I think going back to what we were talking about last time is the society idea. There's no, we're all feeling different in different ways. So there's, I don't even know if college degree matters. I know that some of the data that's coming out, but we can push back against a lot of that by saying that again, that society that is putting down the idea if you don't have a college degree that you're not as useful. When we know the reality is trade schools bring out some of the best people in our society, those that didn't have to go to school, they can still learn the trade are all equal in what we're bringing. So the only thing that school is really teaching you is my position how to have debt. Um, a little levity there, but I, you know, it is, it just goes back to those ideas of labels and what society tells us to believe. Right. Which is why I don't like to put those labels on the people. And I like to say that we're all different in our own unique way, but we're all going through stuff that's similar how we all deal with it is going to be slightly different. Hey, Hayden, what, what did you say the average age of, uh, the, the trade school? 34. 34. All right. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm just picturing this in my head. I'm, I'm 34 to your point. Clearly not a first career. I did something before this. I had to have done something. I'm 34. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, you know, sit and do nothing. So I'm 34. I had something happen in my life. I'm probably feeling left behind a good chance. I'm not going to have any, any automatic group healthcare attached here. I don't have the services and support I would have as if I was a white collar college graduated employee for a big corporation, I've got group healthcare, I've got counseling or therapy or wellness incentive programs built into my packages. I have a system of support and I'm probably already, you know, uh, somebody who's a little bit more in a better place. I would imagine mentally than a lot of what you're dealing with. The people are dealing with feeling left behind at their restarting a career at 34. Yeah. So you look at it. It's not just the people in the industry. I, I, I think this is where ABC cares and what you're talking about with the program comes into play. It's the support system. It's the infrastructure. It's all those pieces around those employees that aren't there in the construction industry that really it's a great place to start. So if we go all the way back to this first question, how do we, how do we shift this in society? It is about getting that infrastructure in place. It is about attending to and, and recognizing that we've got a, we've got a group of people here, you know, a, a community of people 
that need this support and aren't receiving it and may be most at need for this support relative to a lot of other communities. That's, that's what I see, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's like the third prong of this whole thing. You know, we're assessing companies ability to respond, um, to any sort of thing on the spectrum, uh, helping them create a standard operating procedure for how they're going to respond for any sort of mental health crisis. Um, whether it's a child is sick or somebody, uh, completed a, a suicide like how does a company respond um helping them create a what ifs document so it's it's ready to go uh through that process those gaps that you're talking about they're going to be identified um the training comes next like i said before i don't i don't feel like it's responsible to go into a training scenario unless those gaps have been identified and addressed uh, but then how do we fill those gaps? Um, here's, here's a call to action for your audience. Anybody who's in this space, um, you know, I'm looking for potential companies, organizations, uh, providers. And there's big ones out there like my strength and Cerebro and stuff like that. Like the telehealth, it seems to me that telehealth is, is potentially answered a lot of this stuff. Um, I tried to get set up for a therapist through my insurance and it was damn near impossible because anybody that takes insurance from what I found, they were already booked for months and you're on a wait list to get in. So you're either paying out of pocket, you're doing EAP. If you have it, if your company has that, if you have EAP, your chances are, if you have insurance, chances are you have EAP, um, from what I've seen, um, but even so, like there's a big uh, obstacle to, to receiving the care you need. Uh, and in Broward, um, 211 answers the 988 uh, hotline, which is definitely worth mentioning here. You should probably put a plug out there for 988. Um, you know, 911, if there's a, a emergency, 988, if there's a mental health emergency. But 211 answers all those calls. And I, I called 988. Um, I wanted to experience what that was like. And it was very non-invasive. They didn't demand my name or any sort of personally identifiable information. They just asked me non-invasive questions that allowed them to provide me with resources. And that's exactly what they did. They, they gave me a list of numbers to call and then let me go from there. Um, they made sure I was safe before we agreed to, to get off the phone, uh, but they gave you the resources. So 988 is a very valuable thing to use. Um, and, you know, fast forward, this was, this is six months ago, fast forward a few months, I end up meeting some of the leadership at, at two one one Broward. And I find out that they have a, a service through their insurance carrier um, called my strength and my strength is it's telehealth for mental health. And the company, two-in-one, pays for this service based on the number of employees. And there's, there's no cap for the amount of uh, sessions you can, you can go to. You just get enrolled, establish care with the provider. And because it's telehealth, it's, it's easier to get yourself set up with a therapist. So I, I think that um, 
you know, the, the issues are facing workforce for construction. We're definitely facing that for the lack of therapists that are out there. Um, but I feel like the, the telehealth space does um, build a bridge. It makes it a little bit more accessible. Uh, Doc, you probably have a little bit more insight to that. I, I'm in a very exploratory state right now. So I'm, I'm trying to look into different resources that, that might be potential introduction between, you know, company that we're assessing um, and giving training to, and then the services that their employees need. It's a challenging world. Uh, just real quick, on, a little bit more on 988. It is a national hotline. It is the, the 911 of, of the crisis uh, world. And part of why it was created is that we were seeing a lot of people that are dealing with a mental health crisis and people don't know what to do, so they call 911. And then you have first responders showing up doing the best that they can in those situations, but they're trained for something totally different, right? So this is the idea of how can we help people without having to put them at risk for their so that was a big part of the idea behind it and now it is a national hotline and even in some to the other countries now it's, it's spreading out too so oh, wow. if you're not sure what it is do some do some research on that it is very helpful if you don't know what to do if you're unsure which one to dial you could start there and they'll let you know quickly if it's something that needs to be escalated to 911 so the onus isn't on you to figure it out just call one and, and that's a good way to kind of to get started on how to help people um the barriers with insurance companies and such is really challenging insurance companies we know they're i'm not the biggest fan of them they are profit driven and they do everything they can to do that while they keep cutting rates towards for the therapists that was a big challenge you know, one of the insurance companies cut like 30 percent of the reimbursement rate a lot of therapists left them but they did not clean up their system so if you go onto their system and look for a therapist it still sends you to people that are no longer under their network the other challenge is that the, there are therapists that want to join their network but their system reads it as full so they say that they're not accepting any new therapists so then it's kind of like paradox where they need more therapists but even in their own system are unaware that they're lacking because they never update their own system so if you're someone that takes that insurance you get very frustrated because now you're doing what you're supposed to do you're going onto their site trying to find someone and every then you call these people and they're like no we haven't taken that in years and then you feel kind of frustrated on what to do right and that we just go into this cycle um so there there is that challenge that is related to that for sure yeah you're you just described my journey <laughs> trying to establish care with a therapist and yeah it was probably four or five before i found somebody that was actually uh taking my insurance but then there was a there was a waiting list so absolutely yeah there's a lot of other resources out there there's stuff like open path um which uh gives discounted rates which sometimes turns out to be the same thing as your is what your um your fee would be that you'd still have to pay for drawing a blank on the name right now what it's called when you get your the deductible doctor and you still have to pay Copay. Copay, that's the one. Um, <laughs> as you can see, I just stay away from insurance as much as possible with that. So, and like myself, we don't take insurance. We put in things in place for people that can. We have sliding scales that can help those out. I know personally, I have a list of therapists that I work with that have all different rates and different insurance companies. So I keep that. So if someone calls me and I'm unable to help, at least like to refer them out to others. 
Um, I try to encourage my colleagues to do that as much as possible as well. Uh, but a lot of us are just like individuals, right? So we don't have a, an office team to be able to do a lot of this. We have to answer our own calls uh, just because that's the way our business is set up too. So we're answering our own calls, trying to get back to you as soon as possible. The other thing I will say as a quick reminder, if you are calling a therapist that has an answer machine, leave a message because we are also bound by the law that we can't call back numbers that we don't know unless people have given us permission. So if you call, we can't read our caller ID and then call you back. We have to have that permission through a voicemail that says, hey, yes, please give me a call back at this number. And there's, protections. Yeah, there's protections for that because what if someone's calling in crisis, maybe a domestic violence issue, and um, we call them back and it's like, hey, you called for help. And they're like, what are you talking about? Right. And then, you know, that could create all kinds of different problems. So the rules are in place. They're not the perfect rules, um, but just be aware if you're out there trying to reach help to make sure you leave a message. Have you have you worked in any situations where it's a, like a telehealth situation? And how, can you maybe talk about the the difference in therapy between telehealth and in person? Sure, uh, I absolutely do both in my other world. Um, I was doing telehealth before it became cool in the pandemic. Uh, but what we found out in the pandemic is there's no rules. So the licensing boards are playing catch up to that and still to this day, still don't really know what they're doing. So there's a lot of misinformation on what's supposed to be done. And that's kind of why I say we, we play behind the eight ball so much is a lot of the rules are archaic and they're always playing catch up. Uh, as far as therapy wise, it could be just as effective through telehealth as it can be in person. Um, again, with some of those things, depending on the person, right? People, I still prefer in person as much as possible because there's body language, there's aspects of it that we can we can make a better connection, I think. But I know plenty of therapists that are strictly telehealth and have great practices and do great work. Um, so it becomes a preference thing also, right? If, if you're someone who feels they need a connection, then you might want to try to do it or do hybrid. That's some of the things that I offer also is we can come in, make a connection when possible, and then you know, rotate as needed because we know that life also gets in the way and not always able to get in every time. Um, and also the idea of telehealth has opened up throughout the state. We're also only licensed inside of our state for most people. Um, but this does give us an opportunity to work with some people. Like I work with some college students that went away to college in Orlando. They're still in the state, but it still gives me that ability to work with them through telehealth that I wouldn't have in office. So there's pros and cons to everything. Um, right. but there's definitely no, you're not lacking. It's still a great option. I have to agree. My experience with, uh, telehealth was, was positive. So still is. And like most things you need starting places, right? So if you right. are unsure what to do, start somewhere and then you can always make an adjustment just like anything we're doing in life. Um, not every therapist is your perfect fit. Sometimes you have to go through more than one. Uh, and that's okay. We're aware of that as well. Absolutely. If I were to add, and I, I hate piggybacking for the most part, but better to start and do something than be inactive in, in a lot of this. Uh, inaction is a direction, whether we like to admit it or not. So, so start somewhere, do something, take some initiative. Uh, and if you need to help somebody do so, and, you know, of course, you know, be supportive and help somebody when and where you can to take that first step. 
Yeah, and that's you know, that's the reason for this training, right? We uh, we want to help people help themselves, and we want to help people help others take that first step. Getting a little bit of momentum is is everything. It changes everything. It changes. It's uh, it's what's kept me uh, going in certain times of my life. Um, you know, making it to tomorrow, knowing that I I took an action, so I would believe that things are going to get better. Um, and then once you get that momentum, you, you get some tools, and things start to shift. Let me add one more thing uh, before we wrap up this conversation that I think could be important while we're having this kind of topic, and I think this stops a lot of people from getting help, is the belief that you have to come in and tell your whole life story and go through everything immediately. There's no rules of what therapy looks like. A lot of people that I talk to just come in and just want someone else to talk to. That's not their family. Like that has their that doesn't have a bias that, you know, Sometimes they just come in and ramble and say, hey, I, I'm here today just to talk about something that happened that has no bearing on anything else, but I just need a place to outlet it. Uh, so it really could be whatever you want it to be. There's no, it's not like you watching the movies. I don't yeah. even have a couch in my office. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not like that. Uh, that is, unfortunately, gets portrayed bad. So it could be whatever you want it to be. And you could start out as slow as you like also. You don't have to share everything day one. Um, get comfortable but there is an opportunity to get started. Yeah, I think that's a very powerful point that there are no rules to therapy. There's there's no one way to do it. You just, I think it's very encouraging and it it removes the barrier to entry to, you know, I, I just need to show up. Whatever happens, happens. Um, what's supposed to happen will happen. You just gotta take that first step. And not every therapy session has to have a diagnosis unless you take insurance. If, if you use your insurance, there has to be a diagnosis attached to it, which is one of the other reasons I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if that's something that you're concerned about, uh, as long as you're not using insurance, and there's plenty of ways to get therapy that's affordable. But you don't have, there's not a diagnosis attached to it. It could be just a conversation. So you don't have to worry about that aspect either. Now, how long does it, does a provider have to diagnose if they're using insurance? Don't get me started on this. We can hold to another 20 episodes. <laughs> um, but it is something that's required immediately, which really makes sense to me. Yeah. Now, we have ways to write something that's, you know, as an expo- exploration. Insurance companies aren't a fan of it. But if we're not sure right away what it is, we can have that, like a diagnosis that leads to exploration, um, which is it should be. Uh, but again, insurance, insurance is driven by profit, and they want to know exactly if the person needs it is their thinking process and they try to limit it, uh, which is again, why I'm not a big fan of insurance, but those are things that you should be aware of. Insurance does have its purpose. And there's some people that it's great for those when they do roll into their world that you need it. Um, so I am a big pro- proponent of people that need it to use their insurance. Uh, but just know there is some limitations that come along with that. Yeah. That's good to know. This is really informative for me. So that's been a tough conversation today for a lot of our listeners. I'm sure hopefully there's been a lot of positivity taken from this. Um, I do like to be able to explore these things because it doesn't, as Hayden was saying, we don't get to talk about this enough in society, uh, especially with entrepreneurs. I think they need to be aware of it. 
because a lot of people are working for themselves. They're not going to have the same resources, even as you're talking about with the construction company having to be able to offer that. There's going to be people that are working on their own. So do not be afraid to outreach, ask people, make this conversation easy. Uh, but to switch to something a little bit more fun, I hear you guys are doing something awesome coming up, Hayden. Uh, some gala? Yes. So ABC Cares Foundation is having its inaugural gala June 24th, 2023. It's the king and queen of hearts. We're, uh, we're going to be recognizing a man and woman from the construction industry uh, that have made a major difference through ABC Cares Foundation. Uh, and this will be an annual gala. Um, it's going to feel like you walked into Las Vegas. There'll be uh, casino games and great food and great drinks and cigars and uh, barbecue, steak. I mean, the whole night. It's going to be a great night. It'll be an experience for sure. And it, and it supports an amazing uh, mission. You know, we respond to emergent needs in construction. Um, this past year, we funded a, a grant that we now are able to provide our beneficiaries with mental health services uh, up to 12 sessions initially. Uh, we think we're five months in and we have seven people that have established care in that program. Um, we just we do a lot of great work at ABC Cares Foundation and uh, the work continues, the mission continues um, and, and really impacting mental health for the industry. I don't think there's a I don't think there's an organization out there that's better positioned to make a change like ABC cares, uh, at least in the construction industry. So I'm excited to see what happens this year. Appreciate that. Sounds awesome. I appreciate the conversation, Hayden. Uh, yeah. Heavy topic for people. I know easy to put levity in there, but better in this instance, I think to, to appreciate the conversation for what it was. So grateful for you to come join us to, to extend it. Uh, a real impactful conversation to have for our first carryover conversation with somebody on the podcast. Thank you for joining us, man. I appreciate you. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, sir. It's amazing to me how difficult it can be to have conversations, uh, important conversations like this, Doc, uh, and meaningful conversations. Yeah, I, I, I felt the personal tendency to want to interject with some levity just to to ease up the conversation. But sometimes you need to have the, the difficult conversations. And the one thing that I, I, I peeled away from this that really stuck out that, it, that I think is broadly applicable is that if you want to make a change on a larger scale level, it, you need to be a little bit disruptive. You can't just do what you've always been doing. What, what, what everybody's always been doing hasn't worked. And in this instance, what's available in the construction industry to address some of the mental illness and mental health issues, it, it's not it's not working the way it needs to work. It's not doing the job it needs to do. So you do need to come up with something different. And I admire that Hayden's trying to do that. It, it's really pretty impressive. And what they're doing at ABC Cares is, is a really great first step to trying to try to have some disruption to, to make some larger scale changes. Absolutely, they're doing a great thing. My point is these shouldn't be difficult conversations. These should just be conversations, right? Like, we've conditioned ourselves as a society that these are difficult conversations. But when we're talking about COVID or having a cold or going to the doctor, those aren't difficult conversations. Those are just conversations we have. 
And mental illness is like cancer, but a cold is like just mental health symptoms. And you, everyone gets a cold. Everyone gets sick from time to time. We don't diagnose them with something that's going to end their life. We don't talk, diagnose them with something that is hard to manage that you need continual medication or anything else. Like we have some is like that, like a cancer. Uh, there are mental health illnesses that are similar to that, yes. But everyone gets a cold and everyone deals with some stressors that could be related. And it should just be a conversation. And the more that we can have conversations like this, the more I think people will continue to, to realize that. It's just going to take some time, just like anything else. We're just not used to it, and we should be. It's really well said. All right, if you happen to be keying in with us still, thank you for, for listening in. I would imagine a, a, an impactful topic for all of our listeners and viewers. We appreciate you. If you haven't, like, subscribe, and follow so we can impact even more people. Uh, that's a huge part of what we do in, in this type of shift that we'd like to make ourselves. So so please give us a like, subscribe, follow if you can, and we appreciate you. Of course, Doc, where can they find us? You can find us on all our social media at JB and the Doctor or at our website, jbthedoctor.com. If you are in the South Florida area and you want to come out and continue this conversation in person, our next Evolve networking event is going to be February 16th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Wharf in Fort Lauderdale. So come down, hang out with us. Uh, shoot us a message if you want to RSVP, and that gets you on the line for a free drink ticket. This plus we'll have food and all that fun stuff that we always like to do. And you know when we do our Evolve Networking, we always add a twist to yeah. keep it different. So you never know what it's going to be till you get there. And the only way you know is to show up. So if you are in South Florida, come on. If you need more details, let us know. All right, Doc. I think that's a wrap for today. I'm JB. I'm out. Peace out, yo. 988 if you need it or reach out to anything that you can. We'll be here for you. Peace out, yo.